I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I think it's starting about the 13th verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Other places in the Bible it talks about, like Peter says that uh, when he's speaking to them, that he's reminding them of something and he reminds him reminds them frequently and then he then i think he kind of says something a little sarcastic in the scripture that is though you know it and be established in the present truth and uh well this is a good scripture but that's not the one i thought go to 14 go to 14 next one i wasn't going to show this but i'm going to show it now Uh huh. All right. Hold on. I was listening to Chuck Smith the other day, and this is probably flesh, flesh on my part. How many of you know who Chuck Smith is? Oh, more of you know who Chuck Smith is than read Matthew 21 and 20. Okay. Rather than have you just hunt for me, I'm going to find this. I wasn't planning on it. I think I know where the mistake is, but I just wanna, don't want to keep going and keep on making them. All right. Go to ver, verse uh, twenty-four. Twenty-four. Second Timothy twenty-four. I only missed it by ten chap ten verses. But uh, I was like, like I said before, this may be flesh, but I was listening to Chuck Smith and he was quoting the scripture uh, that uh, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. Amen. Uh, Psalm uh, 24. You know, he said Psalm 27. It's in Psalm 27. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's in 24. And uh, 27 is one of my favorite Psalms, and I know it's not in 27. But I also know it's in 24. Matthew 20, uh, Psalm 22, crucifixion. Psalm 23, why Jesus died. Psalm 24, the resurrection. You know, so... It's in there. And uh, I don't know. I just like, Chuck Smith made a mistake. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Wow. So, anyways, I just made a... Uh, when my grandson was young, I uh, was trying to teach him proper English. And uh, we would be playing this video game. And... Uh, He'd say, oh, I made a steak. This is years ago. And so uh, we were in earshot of my wife. And so she says, Connor, it's Miss Steak. And a little, little bit later on, oh, I made a steak. And my wife says, Connor, it's Miss Steak. 
And a little bit later on, I, I said, oh, I made a mistake. And Connor, Connor looks at me and says, it's mistake. <laughs> so sometimes I say I made a mistake. Uh, oh, by the way, when I did say that, my wife says, you're not helping when you do that, you know. <laughs> okay. Second Timothy 2.24. And the servant of the Lord, who is he talking to? Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven out of all of you. He's talking to all of us. If you're born again, if you're saved, if you believe in Jesus, I believe he's talking to you. And it says the servant of the Lord must not strive. It means like argue. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. That word apt to teach means able to teach, ready to teach, patient. Kind of left me out there. Anyway, next verse. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Now, I don't know if it's grammar or what, but some translation says who oppose God or oppose him instead of themselves. But uh, whether it's God or whether it's themselves, both are true. To oppose God is to oppose yourself. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. Right. Now, you know, you know something you don't really, it goes, go back to the verse, first verse, it says, a servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach. And so, you know, you're, you're supposed to be able to teach. You don't really know something till you can teach it. You think you do, you might have, oh, I've heard that so many times. Well, maybe you need to hear it a lot more. I, I've had people say, um, I can't memorize scripture. And I, I guess there's some people who just can't memorize scripture. I don't know how they memorize language, but, uh, you know, since how you have to have millions of things memorized in order to speak a language, your English, you know, but that's okay. Uh, but I'll, I'll ask them, I says, how many times have you gone over it? Oh, 10, 20 times. I said, okay, well, when I memorize the scripture, I go over it about two or 3,000 times. I know I'm a little slow and I have to work on it a little harder than most people, but you know, it doesn't come automatically. One of the things I've been talking about is the difference of one little letter in a statement. And I want to tell you this one little statement uh, is, is a predicate over your whole walk with God. And what's this one little statement? Do you believe that God owes you? Or do you believe that God owns you? Just one little letter. Difference between an E and a W. If you think God owes you, your walk with God is going to be pretty shaky. Now all the promises of God in Him are yes and amen. In him, 
It's talking about in Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus. And whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature. So God has some great promises. But those promises are predicated on that first statement that I made. Does God owe you or God owns you? Now, may, God may have some responsi- uh, responsibilities that he feels that is that he owes his people. He created him. He owes them. But that doesn't work when you have that attitude. God owes you on you. I, was, I, I don't know if I missed it. I, I make reference to a verse. Uh, I, I've adjusted a ver- some verses of scripture to say what I believe. I'm going to paraphrase, if you don't mind, in Isaiah 40. And I've shared this before where, where God says regarding the sins of Israel. And he says this, you could burn every tree in Lebanon. Lebanon is known for its great big trees, kind of like they're not as big as our big redwoods or, or, or Samoans or anything like that, but they're, they're, they're big. And, uh, and there, a lot of the lumber that was used in the temple came from Lebanon. He says you could burn every tree. Build the biggest bonfire you've ever seen in your whole life. Offer up. And I, I would expand that to say every tree in the world you could burn. Biggest bonfire you've ever seen in your whole life. You think the fires in California were big. And then on this fire, offer up every animal as a sacrifice to God. And it wouldn't be sufficient. It wouldn't be enough. Hebrews, it says, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. It required the blood of his son to satisfy the justice of God. He says, we are bought with a price. Nor but wasn't by the blood of goats and cats, but by his own blood, he's purchased us. And so we belong to God. I love, I, I, I was listening to a song all night long. Well, I say all night long, <laughs> 4.30 in the morning, you know, that's kind of like all night long. And uh, it was that song that I, I was tempted to call uh, Chris this morning and says, can you throw another song on the, on the agenda? And it was the song by Michael W. Smith. It was that last song we sang. You're all I need. You're all I want. See, there's another verse of scripture that I make a lot of references to. Paul said this, but if you read it in the whole chapter, Paul, chapter three of Philippians, you read this, uh, basically it's all on the same particular subject in chapter three of Philippians. And he talks about all the sacrifices that he has made. He talks about his walk before Christ, how he was blameless by keeping the law. In other words, he kept the law. And it went on to talk about other things that he did. Then it talked about the things that he suffered. And he says this, he says, 
all, first of all, all of the things that he had gained in his religiosity were all, was nothing but, in his words, dung. And then he goes on to say, and all the things he did in sacrifice to, to Christ, he counts but dung, refuse. And then he says, what's lost to me, what, what was gained for me in the world, I count loss. And what's lost for me in Christ, I count achieved one. And then his goal through all of this is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Wow. And I kid around about that, that I may know him. You know, I have made a a reference to a song. It was out about 20 years ago. It was by Meatloaf. And it's this woman that tells him in the song. She says, the chorus goes like, I will love you. I will need you. But I ain't never, ever going to love you. But don't feel sad because two out of three ain't bad. Sometimes I think we feel like that about that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Two out of three ain't bad. We forget that third one uh, that I may fellowship of his suffering. That I may know him See, what is your vision in life? It says, where there's no vision, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Cast off restraint. I like talent shows. I, I just do. And I'll watch them. And when I see somebody that has amazing talent, I, I admire that, respect that. I think it's pretty cool that people can do some most amazing things. But I also know that in order for them to do those amazing things, they had to really, really, really give themselves to it. You know, they had to work hard. If you don't believe me, you just all you have to do is if you watch those talent shows, all you have to do is listen to them. I've worked really hard for this. I, I made mention of this before. It's like, the others didn't. You just beat the others, and you. But I worked really hard for this. Like the others didn't. I worked harder. Maybe they did, or maybe they didn't. Could have been just the day. But I worked really hard for it. You know what else they say? I want this really bad. Oh, I want this. I want this. I wanted this. Well, like I said, the others didn't want it. They just happened to be on the street corner and somebody walked along and said, hey, you want to be on our talent show? Sure. I, I remember singing when I was in kindergarten. I'll sing a ditty. 
No, 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 no. They want everyone that is on that show has wanted it, and everyone that had been ta- turned down has wanted it. But you see, I, I told you I had this mixed feelings about it. I also see, and I think to myself, can you imagine if Christians, or even if they, but if Christians wanted God as much as those people that spent their every working hour and studying and practice and practice and practice just just to come in second sometimes they don't even recognize second you know first now, used to they at least give you for a prize for second and third they don't do that anymore it's just first prize you know Olympics has silver, gold, you know, gold, silver. Can you imagine what would happen if that person served God with the same intensity? I want him. That's what, I, what that song, you're all I want, you're all I've ever needed. I was up thinking about another song. I said I was listening to that song all along. There was another song that was, I think was played Sunday night last Sunday night and it reminded me of another Michael W. Smith song it seems like he spends a lot of, of energy uh, producing songs that have this content and this content is that you're all I want you're all I've ever needed and that other song is uh this is the air I breathe. We sing that, I think. Did we sing that last Sunday or Sunday before last? Well, we sang it one time. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. And I, listen to this line. And I, I'm desperate for you. How many of you you are desperate for God? Amen. I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. God wants to do things for his children. He says so and he compares us. I was watching on television a movie that I hadn't seen since I was six years old. And I remember going to see it. Uh, It was in Colorado City. I was in the first grade. Colorado City, Texas. And my parents went to a drive-in to see it. So it was made in 1953. That's when I was... That's what it said, the thing. And I said, oh, yeah, I saw it when it first came out at the drive-in. But I watched it because it said David and Bathsheba. Gregory Peck, Susan Hayward, Raymond Massey. Yeah. Raymond Massey was Nathan. Well, he, he did a pretty good job on that when he was, he just about quoted nothing but scripture. You know, when he was doing what Nathan the prophet did in the, in the Old Testament. 
I would not recommend you watch this unless you know the word of God. Matter of fact, I don't know if I recommend any of the movies made unless you know the word of God. Because then if you know the word of God, then you know where they're Hollywooding it. You know, it's, I just made that word up when they're, you know, putting Hollywood into it or or maybe they think that they can improve it a little bit. And um, there's a lot of mistakes in there, but there's a lot of good things in there. And one of the good things that was in this movie is that in the beginning, close to the beginning, he is on the throne because this isn't about him going up and killing Goliath and all those things. Although it goes back in time and shows a little bit of that. But it was about Bathsheba, you know, on the bathing on the roof. So in the beginning, he is seeing emissaries from other country and uh, emissary from Egypt comes and gives him this golden dagger. All right. And he goes through the motions of saying so. As soon as he gets off the throne, though, Amnon and Absalom, his sons, come running over. They're arguing over which person has the right been given a vineyard. You know. And then he settles the argument by saying it belongs to this one. He said Amnon gets it. And Absalom wasn't very happy about it and was complaining about it. And I, you know, and David says, here, here's your that here, take this, that golden dagger. And he's like, hmm, okay. That's what children do, isn't it? Isn't it and that isn't it what they come come to do? And God says, if we can do good things for our children, he'll do good things for us. You know, in Isaiah 49, it talks about a woman feeding her baby, uh, breastfeeding. And he says, I am like this woman, you're like my child. And then he goes on and in other places, though, would the mother forsake her baby? And said, well, sometimes, not often, but sometimes. He says, I'll never forsake you. Though your mother and father forsake you, I will not forsake you. And so he says that, and he compares us. If if your son asks for a loaf of bread, would you give him a serpent? No. If you which are evil know how to good, do good things to your children, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to feed us? God knows you have need of these things. And he will take care of you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's lots in there in the scripture. But I want to tell you something that's predicated on that. The thing that's predicated on is on God owns me, not owes me. Just like God, I'll tell you something, and this is what Gregory Peck said. Gregory Peck's talking to Bathsheba. And he's saying, ever since I've been king, all I ever have is people coming up wanting, wanting things. He says, even my own sons. All they care about is what they can get. And I thought, wow, that's kind of revelatory in a sense that if you're a parent, you don't like, you know, one time Tim Keller was talking to his Sunday school teacher that had been his Sunday school teacher. 
And the subject came up about, does God own you or does God owe you? And she said, uh, hold your hand up. Try to make a square with your finger and your thing. Go ahead. Try it. It won't kill you. Now hold it up about arm's length and where you can see through that square. And hold it up to the sky. And if you could see in that square, there is about 90 million galaxies in that one square in the sky. Now they're finding out today that the universe is even larger than they thought it was. 90 million galaxies. And you know a galaxy has possibly billions of stars in it. (laughs) 90 million. God spoke it. And she says, does this sound like the God that you would, would, uh, would think of as your personal Santa Claus? Well, if you think God owes you, that's exactly how you look at him. He's your personal Santa Claus. He's your chauffeur. <laughs> well, I guess in many respects he is, but if you think of him that way, that's the problem. So you have to think God owns you. Back where it says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, able to teach. You know the old saying, he that can't do, teaches? You've heard that, right? And he that can't teach, administrates. It's not true. It's not true. No, before a person can teach it, they really have to know it to do it, be able to do it. Maybe not all the time, but most of the time. You know, I remember a story when I was taking electronics in uh, the Navy. And this one story, they told this one story where this master chief in electronics came into this class and it had nothing but uh, captains. Captain is like a colonel in the uh, army. Next highest up after a captain is like an admiral. Had captains and admirals and and uh, uh, lieutenant commanders, which is like going down. Full in, the whole class was like this. This is a chief in the. He's not an officer. He's a petty officer. And he start the lesson off by saying this: There are probably ten people in this whole world that knows this subject better than I do. But I don't see a single one of them in this class. And do you know what he was letting them know? You're the student. I'm the teacher. So, maybe you're different than me because I'm called in full-time ministry and I'm a pastor, but when I go to listen to a, a sermon, I can't, I don't get it the first time. I get, you know, the train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they shall not depart from it. You know what train up a child means? You know what the word means for train up a child? It's an interesting word in the, in the Hebrew. Somebody here knows, don't you? Wait, you've been supposed to do it. <laughs> 
It's, it's actually, the, the term actually means to touch the palate. You know what touch the palate means? It's like if you feed a baby, if you can get it to open its mouth and you can get the touch the back of its tongue so that it's, it's the palate and it can taste it, then it will be ready to eat it again. And it's our job to give them a, a good taste of God. And then when they are old, they won't depart from it. So can you teach the subject? And I would say, if you can't, you need to think about listening to it a little more, reading it a little more. I am reading the Bible over again. I read the Bible the first two months I was saved. And I can be honest with you, I have listened to it when we did the hearing the Bible with uh, out of uh, Hosanna, you know, from Mexico, New Mexico, wherever it's from. I've listened to it, but I haven't read the Bible in some time. I'm reading it uh, in sections, but over again. And I'm like, wow, I don't, I didn't, I'm, I think I missed a few things the first time, the first couple of times. Especially in Job. Oh my goodness, try read Job. Beautiful book. It's the oldest book in the Bible. Oldest ancient writing in the, that they have. All right. So, maybe adjust our attitude. I know I have to adjust mine every day. That until I can teach something, I don't really know it that well. And until I can live it, I really don't know it that well. And maybe I have to hear it a few times. And I have listened to tapes, I don't know, as many as from 20 to 100 times. Sometimes not the whole tape, but just bits and pieces. You know, I say tapes, you know, they have CDs now, I know. All right. So you got to read Matthew 21 and 22 this next week. It won't take you more than, if you read like I do, it won't take you more than 20 minutes. If you can read like you probably do, it'll probably only take you five. I'm not the best reader around. That's why sometimes when I read, I put on uh, my voice thing and read along with them and watch it on the thing, so... Matthew 21, we'll just start off with this, won't go very long, but we'll, we, we should. There, Matthew 21 and 22, I want you to get a picture of this. This is when he is, Jesus, is entering into Jerusalem and into the temple for the, uh, the last time before he goes to the cross. So it is one week, it would be called Palm Sunday, if, we, if this was Sunday we were talking about it, uh, Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday. He rides into, and I think it is particularly interesting to find out what Jesus is saying the last week of his life on earth, or as before the crucifixion and resurrection. And I think that we will discover that he has been teaching the kingdom of God. And now he's going to, the, the, the one thing, there's many parables in this. 
But the one thing we know about the parables, nearly all of them are saying, this is what's going to happen here is a transition from God dealing with the Jews to God dealing with the church. And it's a transition. And he's talking, most of those uh, parables are referring to that. But then a lot of thing that's happening is he's giving us kind of a foundation of what we have been called to do and live. It is our calling. It's like my, one of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 1.9, where he says how God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, or grace and purpose, which was given to us before the world began. And what you're going to find out here in these next two chapters and the succeeding chapters as well, all the way up to the day that he's arrested and crucified, is what is God's purpose for your life? And so let's look at this and we'll just go through this and we'll talk about these things. There's four themes that refer to God's purpose. And it isn't like, well, I, I think there's one that's kind of like the central or the, the first thing. But there are, when, there are you, you will talk about what God's commission is for your life in many different ways, in many different places. For one way, God, God has called us to give him glory, to glorify him. Another one is, is he's commissioned us to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. But there are four themes in this particular two chapters that talk about what God wants to accomplish in us before he comes again. So we'll start with that. We're going to look at each one of them and talk about those. Uh, we're going to go over the... the um, We'll look at the parables another time, but we will, uh, the parables are all basically saying one thing is God's taking it from Israel and giving it to the Gentiles. So let's go. Chapter, verse 1 of chapter 21, Matthew. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and by the way, (laughs) a little added, added thing. He is coming through the East Gate at this time, or before. He's coming out of the Mount of Olives. Bethany is near, the town of Bethany is near the Mount of Olives. And right in the the crescent, or the crease of the Mount of Olives, is this uh, place called Bethage, or Bethage. And Bethage, there is no record of this in the Old Testament. There's also not mention of it later on in the New Testament. But it exists. It means actually because you know he curses the fig tree along the way. Bethaz, actually the meaning of it is the, the uh, house of unripened figs. It's the definite mission is Bethaz. So he's leaving Bethaz. He says, and when they drew nigh into Jerusalem were come to Bethaz unto the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two of his disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass. I'm going to just say donkey, because I don't want somebody to bust out laughing here. Uh, shall find a donkey tied in a colt with her. 
loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say unto you, uh, what are you doing? The Lord, you say, the Lord hath need of them and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet saying, in, uh, and what the prophet at this point is um, Jeremiah 7.11. Jeremiah 7.11, I'm going to get these straight. One of them is Zechariah uh, 7, uh, 9, 9. And one of them is uh, 7.11. And uh, we'll look it up in a minute or later. All this was done that it might be fulfilled. You know, I just want to say something about this. I know which scriptures those are like you wouldn't believe. But you get up front, your brain kind of starts shutting off. You know, if, if you've ever known, if you've ever had a scripture that you had memorized and you could do it like that and then get up and say it before people, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, so it's just like. That was prophesied in Zechariah or Jeremiah, one of, one of the two. <laughs> it says, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And he brought the donkey and the colt and put it on the, well, put it on clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. They cut down branches. These are probably palm branches. In some cases, they would find them on the ground because they would be scattered throughout this area because of the celebration at another time called the Tabernacle of Moses or the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And so he says this, And a very great multitude of garments cut down branches and trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before him and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, uh, we're going to go on, but I just want to comment on this because this is very important and significant. Because what's happening here and will happen in the temple as well. And the priests are not going to be happy about it. Now, there were seven major Feast or festivals or celebrations by the Jews over a period of time. What is happening here in the next week and the following weekend when he is crucified is the feast of the Passover. And then the first feast that comes after the Passover is the day after that, which is called the Feast of the First Fruits, which is the celebration of bringing in the tithes from the first fruit. And then 49 days later, would be, which would be 50 days after the Passover, would be the uh, festival of Pentecost. And uh, they, the, there were seven festivals. I'm not going to go over them, all seven of them. But the, no, the three most important festivals, according to what I've studied, is the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, all three of these feasts, in order to celebrate in the temple, is what they would do, is they would have this, this uh, responsive uh, praising. There were seven, uh, 
from uh, Psalm 113 to Psalm 119 were called the Hallels. Now, hallelujah is like Yah added to Hallel. Hallelujah. Hallel is like praise or worship, or it would be like a, 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 a time of, of rejoicing in praise and worship. And so the, they were called Hallels because they were psalms of praise is what they were called. And it was also because of what they were used in the festivals is those verses from Psalm 113 to Psalm 19. Primarily, the one that would be used the most is Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is very, very significant because in the Feast of Tabernacles, when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a celebration of the Israel being kept in the, uh, in, in the wilderness when they come out of Egypt, they would be in these tents and they would go in the synagogue and they would wave these branches like they're doing here. They're called lullabs. As a matter of fact, lullab is one of the, one of the, Call one of the names that they use for Hosanna, because you notice they would be saying they would be waving these branches, these people before them. And they would say, me saying this, come in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. There's only one problem with this is when Israel would celebrate its uh, this festival and they came into the uh, 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 the synagogue. The, the, the people, the, the, they didn't do that. They didn't wave these lullabs and say, Hosanna in the highest. There was a responsive, uh, kind of reading from the Psalms, especially Psalm 118. In that particular one, Hosanna in the highest is taken from Psalm 118. It's some, actually 118 verse 25. You'd have to go into the, the Septuagint to understand that the, that the word Hosanna is used for come save us. Okay. The problem with that is when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which was done at another time. And when they would use that Psalm 118 is the, the people did wave the lullab, the branch of the palm branch, but they didn't say that they didn't say, uh, come in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. That was the, the priest function. The priest said that. And we're going to find out later that the priests are not very happy about what's going on. And I am, I'm totally sure it's because they feel like they are getting replaced. And that's exactly what is happening here. Because what we're going to see that would be happening here, among other things, is that there's going to be a trans from the uh, the priest to the, to the to the average person. Every person is called to be a priest in the kingdom of God. In the beginning, the uh, uh, every family was represented by the firstborn and was supposed to be uh, what later on was called the Levitical order or the Levites. The Levites. Were that order of Aaron and the Levites was only ordered after the golden calf. And when the golden calf, when the calf, it's like uh, when Moses says to Aaron, what, what happened here? He says, I don't know. We just threw in some gold and the calf came jumping out. Yeah, well, that, I can see why he would say that seems how he's the one that molded the gold into a calf. And then when Moses says on 
who's on the Lord's side. And what you don't see is the firstborn coming over because they had been saved by the Passover. Okay. But instead you see the Levites coming over. And at that point, the firstborn would no longer, no longer represent the family or of the entire family of each family, but instead the Levitical Levites were going to represent them. Now this is significant. Why? It's because see this, this, I said, it's a transition. Jesus is making a transition from Israel to the Gentiles. And what he is bringing back is the, what is called the priesthood of the believer. You find that in first Peter uh, two, nine, and it says, uh, we are a royal uh, people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood that we should show forth the praises of him. So when these people are saying, Hosanna, 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 the transferal of, 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 the, of the priesthood, then these priests know this and they don't like it. And so it says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in highest. Next verse, please. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? And the multitudes said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. There is, you know, there's so many things going on here that is so relative to us. It's, it's, it is a, a time and a, a, something that's happening in history that is maybe so dramatically and huge and magnificent that it's so important to us. And it just says, he threw the money changers out of the temple. And we, and we miss it. And you know what it is? This is the beginning. This is a continuation of the transferal of the priesthood. This area that he's casting out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to cut these short because I'm just going to be going on. And you said, amen, hallelujah. Anyway, or you might say, what does that mean, dad? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Jesus went to the cast out the soul of them. Now, where is he going into the temple? There was a, a hall around the temple that literally thousands of people were going to be in at this time. Went all the way around the temple before you came into the holy place. And way before you got to the Holy of Holies. And it was called the courts of the Gentiles. And they would uh, have Gentiles who come in who would want to offer up a sacrifice in the temple uh, themselves. And they, these money changers was ripping them off like crazy. Because what, what they did is only a, uh, an animal that had been approved of by the priest could be sold and and what they would do is and only you could have to use a shekel which was a, 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 a temple money to buy it and so first you went through the money changers and they'd give you like 10 cents on the dollar and then you would buy the animal and then it would be 10 times what it would cost normally but if you went and brought your own dove in they'd say well that's not that's not kosher And so, and so, you know, you have to buy one that's been examined by the priest and said it's, it's okay. 
And then you pay 10 times. And so they would, they didn't care a thing about the Gentiles. They were just ripping them off. And so he is bringing, because Jesus says it's prophesied in chapter 14 of Zechariah, that he is bringing the uh, Gentiles back into the family of God. The Messiah. Well, actually what it says there is he's going to get rid of the Gentiles. And they read it, and it's interesting, Zechariah 14. And what it actually means, and you can reach any study thing you want, or listen to Tim Keller like I did, and say, and say, and say this. You know, it's like, what it actually says there is he's going to get rid of the Gentiles. And so all these priests who know the scriptures are thinking, he's coming in here and he's going to get rid of the Gentiles. Instead, he welcomes them in. Do you know how he gets rid of the Gentiles? He makes them children of God. <laughs> that's, that's how the Messiah, because he, he's, not, he's not conforming. He comes in on a donkey, you know, that he should be coming in on a big horse, you know, instead of a donkey. And so this, we're, we're going to cut this real quick here. So when he's beating those money changers out of the temple, he is... It's all part of the plan to show that God, what I am doing, is going to welcome the Gentiles back into the thing. And he says, and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called of house of prayer. Did you know that offended the priest for him to say that? Even though this is a scripture in the Old Testament. You know why that would have... because he's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the Holy Place. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's in the courts of the Gentiles. And he's calling it my house. Do you see that? Boy, are they ticked. How dare him come in there. Wait till you're in where we are. You know, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. That's a quote right out of the Old Testament. And the blind and the lame came to him of the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Do you see all that? Then he says, and they said unto them, do you hear what these people are saying? It wasn't because they were praising him as being God. It was because they they were getting displaced. You know, their job security was in the toilet. <laughs> Hearest thou what they say? Jesus saith unto him, Yea, I <laughs> have you never read it out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou have ordained strength because of thine enemies? Actually it says here, perfected praise. In Psalm one uh, Psalm eight, verse two, which is a quote from this, it says ordained strength. And he left them and went out of the city unto Bethany and he lodged there. Now in the morning he returned to the city, he hungered. And when he had saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And said unto him, you know, that I could preach a whole sermon on this. I'm not going to. Yet. Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. This is a prophetic thing talking about Israel. All right, and I'll explain what that forever means at another time. And presently the tree withered and died. You know, and you, you might read other, listen to this. 
If you read other accounts to this, like in Mark 11 and, and, and Luke uh, 12, I believe it is, you know, they may say, say it differently. It may say a different time. You know, it's like, like one, one person. I remember my wife was taking religion in, at Hartwick. And this uh, professor says, how can you believe the word of God? Because in one place it says, Jesus healed blind Barnabas going into Jericho. And the other place it said, Jesus healed blind Barnabas coming out of Jericho. And you know what the, the truth is? He healed blind Barnabas. <laughs> That's the truth. And sometimes you have to understand that. You, did you know that if they wanted to, they could have made it all line up? They could have done it. What I mean by they, the ones that, that printed it and came up with it. Did you have something? Or? Yeah. Um, police and investigators, if they find three witnesses who all give the same word for word account, they are very suspicious. Yes. They should be different. That's right. Absolutely. Did you catch that? How many of you heard that? This is like if you, if three witnesses to a crime give the same story, then that, then they start saying, uh-huh. They don't do that unless they've got their story together. You see? And when they do it and it's differently, you know that they're being truthful. All right? And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? And all this, by the way, is referring to this transition Many other things are in this scripture, okay? But let's go on to the next verse. And when the... No, no, no. Next verse, 21. And when... Still then when the disciples saw it. Verse 21. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith... Well, let's, let's skip this one and go on. Uh, because I'm in a hurry. And all, and all things whatsoever you should ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Keep going. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and elders said unto him, and came unto him, and he was teaching, and said, By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? And he says, And Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer my question, uh, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, The baptism of John, was that of God, or was that of heaven, or was that of man? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, if we say if it's of heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? If we say it is of man, then the people will not be happy because they re- revere John, John the Baptist. Next verse. But if you shall say of men, uh, next verse, sorry. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. All right. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And then he turns right around and tells them. He answers their question. But he wasn't going to do it, you know, you know he's going to do it backdoor. He says, and what think ye? A certain man had to, uh, let's, let's, let's skip this one and just go next one. And he answered and said to them, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to tell you what's in it. And then we'll look at these verses later on. All of these um, parables basically are talking about why gen- the Jews rejected him and then God rejected them. At that point in time, and go to the Gentiles, all right? And he says this, a very famous scripture. It's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. And he says, and the stone the builders rejected is become the headstone of the corner. 
I think we talked about that, that a little bit last week. He says the stone, it's referred to also in First Peter. It's also in, it's like I said, Psalm 118. He's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. And so we'll, we'll close with that because the stone the builders rejected is part of the whole picture here of God restoring the Gentiles to the, to his plan, to his purpose. Now I just want to say one last thing. How much are you dedicated to these things happening? How many of you feel like a living stone? How many of you feel like you're part of the church? That's the building. That's the church it talks about. The building of Christ. The body of Christ. See, that? It, that's where... Now, God has a purpose for your life. He wants you in your job to glorify His name. You can serve God, not with eye service as men pleaser, but as goodwill doing service unto the Lord. So you can serve God in your, your, your job. If you have that purpose in your life to glorify God in your job, that's beautiful. Okay? But we're talking about it. It's predicated. If you're going to be successful in that, it's predicated on what God shows you is his purpose for your life in the scriptures. He shows you that it's to glorify his name. He shows you that it's to go into the nations. He also shows you that you are part of the body or the building of the Lord Jesus Christ. He also shows you that you are a priest in the kingdom of God. And that goes on to say in First Peter uh, 2, 9, we, we're a chosen nation, a peculiar people. That means a people of his own, a royal priesthood that we should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of that. We are called to praise and worship God together and separately.